Okay, we're in. I'm going to continue Kings uh, 1, chapter 3, verse 16. The famous Mishpat Shlomo. Everybody's heard of it, where Shlomo Amelech is able to figure out who the we- real mother is. And it starts like this, verse 16. Two prostitutes came to the king, and they stood before him. Here we see something interesting that it doesn't matter the social or economic status of the plaintiffs, even if it's two prostitutes, if it's a difficult case, it's going to go before King Solomon, no matter who they are. And it says in verse Yud Zion 17, and the first woman says, please sir, me and this woman, she's pointing obviously to the other woman, me and this woman, we dwell in one house, and I gave birth to a baby when she was in the house. And she continues in verse 18, the same woman, and let's call her woman A. Because what we want to do here is try to figure out ourselves who is possibly the real mother. Just like Shlomo probably figured it out before he even took the sword out later on in this story, we also can try to discern maybe from the testimony each one gives who the real mother is here. So she continues, and we'll call her woman A. And it was Biomashlishi, and on the third day since I gave birth, this other woman also gave birth. And we're together there. There is no one around, no stranger, no one other than us in the house. Zulati, except for me and her. We're both in the house. So she says here in verse 18 that this second woman also gave birth to a baby three days later and there's nobody around. In other words, there's no witnesses. It's just my word against her word over here, which makes it a tough case to figure. To figure out there's no witnesses or test, uh, to, to give testimony. So it says in verse 19, And this woman's baby died t- last night. Why? Because she suffocated him. She lied. She lied on him. is to lie on, to lay on somebody. She apparently she's saying that she smothered the baby. It says in verse twenty now. And this other mother here, she got up in the middle of the night. And she took my son that was with me, and I was sleeping. And she took my baby and put it in her bosom. And her dead baby, she put in my bosom. So here, now, woman A continues to tell us that her, the other mother there had a baby that died, smothered her, and then she exchanged babies in the middle of the night while I was sleeping. And it says in verse 21, And when I got up in the morning, to nurse my, my baby, I saw the baby was dead. And then when I got a better look at it in the morning, I saw, whoa, that's not my child. That's not my baby. That I gave birth to. In other words, I recognized it now that it wasn't mine. So that's the testimony of woman A. Now woman's, woman B's testimony in verse 22 is only one verse. She only says one thing in this whole uh, story here, so we, let's pay attention to it. Vetoma 
Tomer Aisha Acheret, and the other woman said, which we call a woman B, Lo, no, ki b'niachai, u'b'nechamet, no, my son is the live one, u'b'nechamet, and your son is the dead one. V'zotomeret, and the other one said, which is woman A, Lo, ki b'nechamet, it's your son that's the dead one, u'b'niachai, and my son is the live one. And they spoke before the king. Obviously, they continued to scream at each other, probably in the court there. And that's the testimony. So before the, uh, Shlomo Melech gets involved, let's try to figure out the case for saying that woman A is the real mother. Let's, let's look at the facts. Well, let's look. First of all, woman A... She speaks a lot more. I mean, she gives a lot more testimony. She's not afraid to, to, to give her version of the story. While, while a woman B only has one thing to say in this, whole, in this whole court. So that may be incriminate her a little bit. Maybe she's afraid to incriminate herself so she doesn't want to speak too much, you know. And um, that's, that's one thing that could be the case for woman A. Also, if you notice in verse 20 that woman a has the baby always beside her while woman B has the baby in her bosom. It's a slight change each time. In other words, in Hebrew, etzla and etzli, it's with me or beside me. That's how woman A describes where the baby lies. But when it's woman B, it's always in the bosom. So the bosom, in, which means that it's more likely to be suffocated when you put the baby on you, on your bosom. And that's why it's more likely to to, to, to crush the baby. But if it's beside you, that seems to be a safer situation. So maybe woman A un- subconsciously is explaining uh, that she puts the baby in a more, uh, in a safer position than, than woman B. Also, and this um, could be a case for woman A as well, when she says she rose in the morning, in verse 21, and she wanted to nurse the baby, um, she didn't know it was her baby yet until morning came. And a few hours later, when the morning came in, in the light of the day, when she, then she saw that it wasn't her baby in the first place, that the dead baby wasn't hers. That kind of makes her, her um, version more believable and makes it very credible that uh, it's hard to make something like that up, that she woke up and to nurse the baby, and she didn't know it was her baby, and she knew the baby was dead. And then a few hours later in the morning, she recognized that it wasn't hers. That sounds, sounds believable. And that's the case that might lead us to believe that woman A is telling the truth. On the other hand, and uh, now I'll give maybe the case for woman B, how does woman A know how the baby died? I mean, she was sleeping, right? She said herself she was sleeping the whole time. So how does she know that the baby died from, from being smothered? That, the, that the, uh, the mother laid on her and smothered her by accident. How does she know that? She was sleeping. I mean, there's other ways for babies to die. There's crib death that could come in different ways. So how is she so, so sure that's how the baby died, if she was sleeping? And if she was sleeping, how does she know that woman B came over, exchanged babies and... And all that. I mean, she's assuming it. She didn't see it. She says she herself said she was sleeping, and therefore that does make her testimony a little bit suspicious. Moreover, and this 
leads many commentators to believe that woman B is the real mother, and that's when that's the one the one thing that woman B does say makes her very believable. She says, and we'll go here to verse twenty two. What does she say? Vatoma isha'acheret. Woman B says, Lo kibniachayu benechamet. No, it's my my baby who's alive and yours is dead. And the other one said, Lo, ki No, it's your baby that's dead, and my baby's alive. Notice the order of things in 20, verse 22. The, the, the woman B precedes the live baby to the dead baby. In other words, she, her first, her first um, words out of her mouth are that ki That's what interests her. My baby is the live baby, and your baby is the dead baby. And the woman, woman A, says, no. Your baby's the dead baby. Mine's the live baby. Who says what first? Who's putting what first? Woman B is putting first that her baby's the live baby. And afterwards, your baby's the dead baby. Woman A first is saying, no, it's your baby that's the dead one. Now, doesn't that maybe give us a little hint what's important to each one? And therefore, the real mother can, can very well be mother B woman B, that precedes her words with the live baby is mine, and then says the dead baby is yours, because that's what interests her. And sure enough, as we go to verse 23, let's go to verse 23, the, the king here now repeats their claims, this one says, my baby's alive, and your baby's dead, and the other one says, obviously talking about woman A, no, ki benechamet u benechai. The woman A is saying, no, your baby is the dead one, mine is the live one. So Shlomo Melech repeats their claim in court with the order that they said things. So he might be onto it himself that woman B already might be the real mother because she's proceeding to say, mine is the live baby. Notice how the, he repeats their argument, which he's supposed to do in court before you give your decision, you have to show you understand the arguments of both sides. So he repeats their argument of both sides, but he seems to be repeating the words of the the uh, mother A and mother B verbatim, as we saw in the previous verse. And so, there's another case for woman B. Now, it's true woman B didn't say much. All she said is, it's my baby. That's all she said in court, that my baby is the live one and yours is the dead one. But, on the other hand, if Woman A is lying. And all that really happened was that woman's A baby died. And woman's B, woman B, her baby was the live baby. Then what could woman B say? Nothing happened. She went to sleep with her baby and that's it. She woke up with her baby. So all she can really say is the live baby is mine. So maybe that's why she doesn't have much to say in court because... All she could say is what a mother will say. It's my baby. In any case, we're trying to figure out who the real mother is because we want to figure that before Shlomo took the sword out to cut up the baby, he already, he already had a pretty good idea who the real mother was. Okay, so now we'll go to verse 24. And he said, take a sword. Give me a sword. And they brought the sword before the king. And the king said, Cut the live baby into two and give me, give half to one 
and half to the other. Now, before we, see, we go on, by threatening to cut the baby with the sword, of course Shlomo Melech wasn't going to do it. As we said, he probably knew who the real mother was, but by threatening to do so, you can look at the immediate response of the mothers, the immediately spontaneous reaction, who jumps, who jumps forward first and who reacts to it like a real mother would. Maybe from that you can also discern who the real mother is. Just by the very threat, you can look at their initial, initial response. And so he says, uh, now, now, now the woman in, in verse 26, the Tomer Aisha, and the woman said, Ashabenachai, the, the woman's, who had the live baby, who was, who was the real mother, she said to the king, because she yearned for her child, for a baby, and she said, give the woman the live child, but just don't kill it. And that one said, we're talking about the woman who was a liar, said, no, both of us won't have the baby, cut the baby. So the king realized who the real mother was in verse 27 and he said, give her the live baby and don't slay it because that's the real mother. Of course, Shlomo figures it out and he probably figured it out for many, many things. I mean, it could be the way the women, uh, their body language, you know, some commentators say that one of the women might have been more clumsy looking. She looked more like the type to crush a baby where the other was more nimble. So he knew from that. Or maybe from the face, you know, one of the, the face of the baby. Um, one of the babies was born three days before the other. There might be some similarities already between the mother and the child, but certainly it's not an impossible case to figure out as we try to figure out ourselves. And you can choose yourself if you think it's woman A or woman B. I think it's a good case that woman is the real mother. And you know, it's interesting that this trial is so famous. Maybe there's a lot to learn from it. Maybe we can learn um, some Musa from it. You know, why of all the mishpatim of King, King Solomon, he probably had dozens and dozens, hundreds of cases interesting like this one. But maybe this is to teach us something that somebody who really believes in something doesn't compromise. Maybe we can learn that about the struggle over the land of Israel. The ones who are willing to give Israel away the ones who want to compromise in Israel, they, they start to look like the lying mother that, hey, I stole it, so take it back, you know? I stole the, the land. So, so uh, And the one who says, no, I'm not giving up an inch of land, you know what? He might seem stubborn, but that's what the real mother will say. I don't give up on this land of Israel. So we can learn a lot of things about Mishpat Shlomo, but the, like the person who really, really wants something doesn't compromise. And so... Let's uh, look at the last verse now. And all of Israel heard this mishpat. It was a famous mishpat. And by the way, that's one of the reasons he took out the sword. It made things kind of dramatic, you know. It was a little bit of a show. Because as, as we said, Shlomo probably knew who the real baby was already from the trial, from, his, uh, able to, from the cross-examinations he did. And the sword thing was, was a good way to deter to deter other people from committing perjury because by showing that he can know from, uh, from testimony who, what people are really thinking and what their thoughts are and what their motives are, that kind of deters people, deters people from, from doing crimes 
even if there's no witnesses to catch them. And that's what it says in verse 28, the Mishpat, when everybody heard about this Mishpat, the Shashafat that Melech, that the king uh, did, this famous Mishpat, they were afraid of him, because they saw he had Chochmat Elokim, that he had such wisdom and he had this divine wisdom, Lasot Mishpat, to do justice. They saw he had this tremendous wisdom to do justice, and it deterred anybody from trying to think he'd get away with something in court, because, wow, King Solomon's reading my mind, you know? I can't, I won't even think of trying to get away with that one. And so, that ends uh, chapter uh, 3. Uh, one more thing, before I end the, end the chapter, one, one thing I wanted to bring up, you know, when you look at the story, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Even if, even if the mother was lying and it's, she, her baby was killed, her baby was smothered, why would she want the baby to be cut in half? I mean, why would she say, yeah, cut the baby, neither of us should have the baby. That seems unrealistic, but we have to, uh, according to the commentators, these women didn't like each other very much. And they didn't like each other very much, so it wasn't as much as the mother was lying, wanted the live baby, but she didn't want the other mother, the real mother, to have her baby. There was a lot of jealousy and grudges going on here between the two of them. And so it wasn't, it was, it was possible that the lying mother, the one whose baby died, really doesn't want the live baby. She doesn't want another a baby that's not hers to raise and to, and to nurse. It's not her child anyway, and therefore... She um, was willing to have the baby divided like that because she wasn't really interested in the live baby. And that might explain her reaction to Shlomo's act of cutting the baby. We'll stop here.